Hi, Jamie McGuire, a.k.a. Smiley, and you're listening to the What Is From cast on the Podcast Network. It's a bad spot. The bell is ringing. Time to go home before it gets dark. Hmm? Ah! Huh. Welcome to the show. My name is Alex. And I'm Lizzie. I'm ready. And I'm ready. we have we've I'm got ready. our talismans. We've got our lunchbox. We you know it's Sunday is from day. And we are talking episode seven, season two, the belly of the beast. And for those of you that are joining us on the internet, thank you so much. Why don't you uh, hit that subscribe button? Because then you can find all the latest and greatest for our show and what is going on. So Lizzie, I haven't talked to you all day. What was your thoughts on this first episode? What was your first thoughts on the episode? That it was a, a peaceful day to get some work done. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, my first thoughts were that I was excited to see um, the dissection of Smiley. I love dissection a lot. That's one of my favorite science things. Um, I... I loved the fever dreams or the withdrawal dreams that um, Marielle had. And then my favorite thing, and I didn't expect to ever see this on anything or have someone else say the same thing. But when you lay back in the tub and submerge your ears and how it sounds like the ocean, sometimes I will do that because I get homesick and I want ocean sounds. Well, I'm telling you right now, you got yourself some ocean sounds. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if those were all the answers, but there were so many things in this episode. And one of them, one of the characters said something and I had an epiphany. And okay. I can't wait to get to that. Well, we're going to get to that and much, much more. But let's first dive into the uh, episode. And the first thing I want to talk about is the new day. Because we have a dead smiley on the ground and they're all looking at him like through the window, like, is he moving? <laughs> I wouldn't or, even want to go outside. Or I like the next one. Is he still dead? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, one of my one of my uh partners from Yellow Jackets, Rennie, has the best comment of all. Crazy episode. Don't bring monsters inside for an autopsy. Well, you know what? They didn't listen to you, Rennie, but that's okay. That's okay. I would have been right there with uh, with Christy and um, Boyd wanting to rip him open because, I mean, that that is science at work. Um, sometimes you have to dive into those things. Um I read a long time ago that they did find life on Mars and they put hydrogen peroxide on it and it killed it. Um, so then there was no life on Mars. 
Right. Exactly. And and this is the thing about all of this is, you know, the dissection before we even get to that. I want to talk about Kenny and his feelings towards all of this. And he does a great job of he makes some really good points because he wants nothing to do with this thing. He wants to burn it. He wants to do everything he can possibly do, but to not bring it in. And it it sounds like he's making a good case, but at the other side, they've got to create, they have to figure out a way to create a weapon for this against these monsters. Right. So the only way to really do that is to open it up and see how it ticks. It's not the first time an alien being has been dissected by, you know, humans wondering what the heck, you know, how this thing ticks and how to, what its weak spots are. And that's what they need to to know because they certainly can't interact with them at night. Absolutely. Unless unless they're uh, now, unless they're able to, you know, cut them open and put worms inside their bodies but the interesting thing will be is whether or not the monsters would learn from that you know they all looked at him and they looked curious but they didn't do anything and it's not like they investigated while they were standing there they just walked away and i don't know that it was um i don't know that it was wasn't giving off some sort of signal. Like True. They, they sense each other and they knew that the life force was gone. Well, what's interesting is, you know, Rennie also points out, why don't they just do it outside behind everybody? And I understand, you know, they didn't want a lot of ruckus. They didn't want a lot of people coming back, but they could have found an area of the forest to kind of do it. No, no, because what happens is that it's not like they had a sterile environment, but they had an area where there wasn't cross breezes. There weren't things flying around. There wouldn't be bugs that could fly into the the chest cavity. They needed something. They needed a controlled area in which to do that autopsy outside would not, you know, if there's no other place to do it, that's one thing. Right. But they had the option of indoors. So that's where they did it. Um, I thought it was interesting that they weren't using anything to mop anything up. Right. You know? Um, Yeah. So um, they get ready for the autopsy. Kenny is protesting the entire time. Um, He wants to burn the body, like you said. Boyd and Christy want to study it because that's what they need to do. And Christy, being the scientific mind there, decides that they really need to go for this and um, see what's in there. Um, so let's see. What where- they try to do, they first, what she does is typical autopsy. They take the chest cavity off. They get yeah. they take it off. And one of the things that was really kind of interesting about this is, is that first off, it was human. Oh, you're skipping over something very important. Okay. She makes the first incision. Yeah. Reaction from the body. And that's very common. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've not that I've well. I mean, my dog let out his left last breath once, and it freaked me out. I thought he had come back to life. Well, I really did. When when I was on a CPR, it was like it was like twenty minutes later, and all of a sudden, the person decided to flatulate out of nowhere, <laughs> and it scared the crap out of us. That Otherwise, noticed Bart. And um, it scared the crap out of us. Oh my god! You gotta remember, that would be me. I would be farting while I was dead. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> but, but to your point, I mean, I did miss that because you know when she did make that incision, she hit a nerve. They all freaked out. It and was awesome. It, it was, was so awesome. awesome. It was so awesome. I mean, but, it was a jump scare, but that. That was one of my favorite jump scares ever. And I'm not a fan of jump scares, but that was awesome. It was, it was perfect. Utterly perfect. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, um, we, we got a, we got a, a text or a message from Patrick Baxter and he's one of the FX guys. And he was, he was just giving us some behind the scenes uh, stuff. And I mean, I called him Peter last week, but I'm going to tell you yeah. right now, this guy has done it all. And the amount of time that it takes to do a lot of these things, you don't realize as a viewer. And he is definitely, and his team are definitely craftsmen or craftspeople. Yeah. You know. And they don't get enough credit. They don't get enough credit from working on set. I, You know. It's the people behind the camera that create this wonderland. And there is no small job. If no. you are working on set, you what you do is integral to what is going on in front of that camera. And everyone is an artist in their own way. And it just blows my mind, the worlds that, you know, crews create. It's just truly works of art and i've you know recently I, I sat in the makeup um trailer while extensive prosthetics were being applied and watching the patience and the care and the attention to detail that goes into that stuff is it's just, just truly amazing. amazing yeah because it's not necessarily like a you know, with close-up work like that, it's not necessarily that um, they're just a, putting a mask over his head and calling it a day. Like, that face is built up from, you know, Jamie McGuire, who plays Smiley, it's built up from his face. And, you know, where the monsters all look similar because of our facial, facial structure being so uni unique to us, each one of those monsters has subtle nuances that are unique to that person. So well, it's, it's just fabulous work. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to Kenny really quick, somebody had just tweeted to me, to us on our, on our um, Twitter, this guy, Brian Spears, you know, the problem with Kenny's thinking is you never get answers. And I think, to your point, I know I'm going back a little bit, but I just wanted to read it. He's not he's not in the right place where he needs to be. I mean, a third year medical student 
you, you know, she, she, uh, she's she's done dissection. She understands the intricacies of it. So it's not a big deal. Yes, is it scary? Of course it's scary. But at the same time, they want to see what's inside. And they have to because they need to create a weapon. And it's just really neat to see these these FX guys or these prosthetics people do their deal because it, it was friggin' amazing from I, day yeah. to night. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing with Kenny is that I he just couldn't well until he did, he couldn't get on board with it. And you know, it got to the point where he had to have a conversation with Christy. And that meant telling her how he felt. I could be wrong. I don't recall him saying, I love you to her prior to this. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, I've been going back through the episodes the last couple of days, but I've been hitting fast forward because I'm looking for very particular things. Um, And I didn't stop really for anything. But one thing I noticed and I think it was the first or the, no, it was the second episode when Christy meets him in the diner and she comes in and they just kind of twiddle fingers with each other. Yeah. You know, it was very intimate without it being over the top. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily something friends do really, but you know, he needed to say something to her. He just needed to clear that air. I'm right. happy for you, but hello, I was here. <laughs> you know, I love you. I matter. And, you know, because she's taken aback when he's saying, I can't do this with you. And she's like, wait a minute. What about you and me? I thought it was you and me against all of this. Yeah, well, that changed. Well, I mean, she meant she meant no matter what. And he meant until Marielle showed up. Well, he's a little, he's also just a little hurt, and it's been like a it's been like a hot second. So you got to yeah. give the guy some some. Yeah, and he he felt a little thrown over. Although it's not like what she really did, but you know, and she's been busy, so it wasn't like she could come talk to him. But you know, it, he's gone through a lot with separating from Boyd. I mean, that is still super recent. So. When they when they start the process, just before the start the process, he comes in and joins them, and they saw the chest. Um, oh yeah, and that's when Kenny shows up when they go to take the sternum off. And I don't know, I I didn't expect what we saw. You know, like all these dried up organs in there. Neither and, did neither did Christy. Yeah, but. I didn't, I don't know what I was thinking we'd find in there. Maybe a little robot guy like working the controls or something like in uh, men in black, but I didn't expect to be expect it to be dried up. And, you know, of course I start thinking about it. I'm like, all right, so what runs this, this machine, what's running it? Something has to be running it. And, you know, she starts looking through the body, you know, it's got all the same anatomical, um, organs that we do, except for it has nothing liquidy to move things around. So 
if the worms went into the body and deactivated that body, where are the worms? Well, that's my next question. And because at the end of the day, the only thing that was viable in terms of vile was the gallbladder. I don't know if it was viable. Well, not viable, but the only thing that liquid was the gallbladder. Was the gallbladder. But, you know, they didn't they didn't go into the brain. They nope, didn't look inside the head. So that's another option. Um, perhaps, I mean, it, gosh, it, it's like what is powering that body to move? And the interesting thing about the gallbladder you know, the gallbladder is where bile is stored. And so bile will, you know, the liver makes the bile, the, the gallbladder sits next to the liver. And so when we start eating and food is hitting our small intestine, that's when the bile goes to the small intestine because bile is like an acid. So right. it starts breaking down that food so that we can digest it and make use of everything that's in that food or hopefully everything. Um, and then, you know, things go on their merry way. And so what happens is like the gallbladder is all filled with bile. When we start eating, it just squeezes until all the bile is into the first intestine. I mean, not the first intestine. Well, yeah, I guess so. The small intestine. Um, and then the liver starts making more bile to go back into the liver, uh, to the gallbladder. So, of course, now I'm having thoughts about um, the movie Seven and the gluttony guy. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's that. I don't watch that movie. <laughs> okay, so, so so anyway, so anyway, like it made me wonder what was up with the the bile in the in the. Um, gallbladder because if it's acidic are the worms agreeable to that or not? Well, not and again we still need to find out where the worms went yeah we don't know if they went in there but maybe the worms were dissolved in the bile maybe that's a way to get rid of those worms so at any rate they collect the bile and um christy goes and hangs out with marielle and comforts her and then Kenny and um, Boyd start to go and Boyd is like, Hey, you know, I still have that badge if you're interested. And Kenny's like, been there, done that. Well, I think he's, I think he's not that he's on the fence. He's just not ready to come back just yet. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's done. Maybe he likes wearing pants that actually, you know, hit the top of his shoes. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, I do like because I was like looking at him. I'm like, oh, my God, he thinks he's Briggs in Lethal Weapon because he's just <laughs> walking around in like the shirt. And he's got the gun and the pair of jeans and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, back when it was OK to love Mel Gibson. But at any rate. Um, yeah. So. So, so after after they kind of make um, their back, their back friends again for lack of a better term. They're on good. They're on good. um, They're on speaking terms. They're on good terms. Yeah. So, um, so they're kind of just going off and going to do their day at this point. Um, So let's see. 
then we go to the Lou family slash Matthew's family, and Mrs. Lou is starting to make pancakes. And I, I love this scene because they're arguing over when to flip them. Yeah. And well, you you defer to Mrs. Lou. Because- oh, yeah. You don't you defer well, to the chef. Yeah, I mean, Mrs. Lou knows what she's doing in that kitchen because she certainly keeps an entire town happy. So I would just want to learn to cook from her. Oh, my God. Cooking lessons with Mrs. Lou, Mrs. Lou's kitchen. This is Lou's cooking book. Um, yeah. But um, but in that in that uh, scene, you know, they the, the kids want to go see go up to Colony House and Jim's like, no. And then Tapitha's like, yes. And then and then the two of them, he pulls them aside and they go outside and they start talking about how to parent, basically, you know, wh- well, being no, on the same not, front. I don't know that it was so much parenting. It was just being a united front. I think you just said united front. And you're a parent. You probably have had that problem where you're saying one thing and Liz is saying another. And you know, the kid is like, you know, Lucy's like, hmm, which one works out for me? Yeah. Well, she always asks, well, mom said it's it's okay if it's okay with you. No, it's not. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm lucky. I just have Charlotte. I don't have to bounce anything off of anybody. What I say goes, and it's usually whatever Charlotte wants. Pretty much. So yeah, that's, that's the way it rolls around here. But at any rate, um, they, he's, feeling disrespected because he's openly being disagreed with. And after, I don't know. I I feel like after it's not the house collapsing. It's after the whole radio thing. Yeah. Jim has changed a little bit and I've sensed a change between him and Tabitha. Tabitha's just gone through something in those tunnels with Victor She's changed. We know she's changed. She's having visions um, of terrifying, no, fucking terrifying children. Yes, um, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Um, so she's, that's happening to her. Both of them, remember, like, at the end of last season, what was happening is that at the beginning, they were on the road to divorce. Then they ended up on the road to from, and... Now, you know, then they they just kind of went through this renaissance where they started to fall in love again and remember what they loved about each other. And they, right. you know, were talking about Thomas and, you know, probably things that they hadn't said. You know, their family was very much fractured. And now it seems like since the radio um, and Tabitha being in those caves, Something is very different with both of them. Jim is convinced that someone's listening, that there's someone out there. Um, Tabitha is seeing things that she doesn't know if they're there or not. Um, You know, after last week with Jade finding her, it almost feels like they're not there. But I think I think it's just different for every person like they they see whatever it is they're seeing and it's actually there so um you know ethan wants to go hang out with victor right which is understandable yeah and jim is like 
uh, no, that guy is creepy and I don't want you around him, which on the surface, yeah, Victor's creepy, you know, like who, you know, but Tabitha quickly reminds him that creepy Victor saved Julie's life. Uh, among other things. And it saved her yeah. life too. Yeah. And saved her life. So, you know, if it wasn't for Victor, the the female Matthews members might not still be around. So Jim's not really happy about this, but the kids go up to um, go up to uh, which McCauley Colony house. Colony house. Yeah. And then and Ethan, Ethan talks to Victor and, and it's funny. Cause they're like two, they're like two eight or nine year olds. I love them together. Yeah. I they're great because they relate. You know, uh, Nino to Nino, and um, they're on the same page. And Victor has already commented, you know, in uh, in the junkyard, the car junkyard episode, that the trees look strange. Right. So, and we know that just days ago, he was measuring tree distances and had concluded that they had moved. So when Ethan comes upon him, he is still doing that work. And I don't know if maybe he's doing it daily to see if there's a change from day to day or if he's just checking his work. Maybe well, he also says something. He also says something to Ethan. Anytime there's change, there's bad things that happen. There's bad things that happen to people. Ugh. And that, that's the other thing. He tells Ethan to leave him alone. And Ethan's like, but we're friends. And he's like, that's exactly why you need to not be here with me. Because bad things happen to people that get close to me. And so what he has found is that if he keeps the people that he cares about at a distance from him, then they stand a better chance at survival. I just want to I just want to interrupt you for one second. Taz Taz says, you know, Victor's the keeper of the records, you know, recording the data. And then and that's really an important point. The question the question is, you know, will it will it um, will everybody start talking to each other? And I think it's starting to happen. Are you asking me? No, I'm just saying in general. It's just an in general. It is starting to happen. We do but, see it in this episode, but but even still, like when when going back to to um, Tabitha and um, Jim, he keeps saying, "I heard something. I heard something," and she's like, "It's like she didn't believe him, kinda, and, in a way, in a way." And and it's just like because she didn't hear it, and although she wants him to believe that she was down there with Victor and everything was. And Victor saved the day. So, I mean, there's there's a couple of different things that are going on here. Um, I think Jim Jim is on this this island about this voice. And the only person that knows it is Donna. And she wants everything quiet. So Right. And it seems like everyone he mentions it to kind of looks at him like he's nuts. But at any rate, back to Victor. Um you know, Victor has found that the further he keeps people away from him, the better chance of survival that they have. And Victor is used to this kind of world because for a long time he was there by himself until other people started coming. Right. But Ethan is used to a world where 
friends hang out together and they play with each other and they talk about things with one another. And the thing about it is that Victor, although he's compelled to get Ethan away from him, he's also dying for someone his own age. And so he he points out to Ethan, hey, that orange marker did not work. Oh, I know. Oh. He's such a pain in the ass about the damn orange marker. But it doesn't matter. Like, the thing is, like, I really hate when that happens. It's why I hate markers, why I don't want to share markers with little kids. I am all about the colored pencils because they never dry up. But I was reading something, and I think it was on one of the from Facebook pages and it was talking about orange being the color of autumn. I mean, Alex, you and I know what autumn looks like. Those Absolutely. brilliant golds and the brilliant reds, like those deep reds. And then the orange, like that orange color. I had a tree outside my window at my favorite house that I lived in in Massachusetts. And in the fall, it was, the most magnificent living thing on the planet. And I loved it. That orange was so vibrant. Um, and so is it a coincidence that it's the orange one that's dried up? Well, because, as you say, there's no coincidences in the show. right? Because the orange, the tree, not the trees, the leaves are orange and they dry up and they fall off. So, Fromville is experiencing an autumn. They are. So, uh, so we have to we have to be on the lookout. We definitely have to be on the lookout. But um, we but got a lot. Also, but he also said this has never happened again, and that when things change in the in from, that it's usually bad. Right. And, but Ethan's like, well, maybe the leaves could be good. Well, yeah, he's always looking at the thing in a good way. Yeah. I mean, even though he doesn't want to be on the quest anymore, he is still very optimistic. Oh, I just want to pump this up because I think you'll enjoy that. Why don't you read that one? Great. A live stream on From. I love this show. Maggie, I love this show. I love this show. I feel All right. like I was the first one to fall in love with it. So that said, now we go, we're going back to Colony House. But before we do, Boyd tells Ellis you need to go home so that nobody deals with the with Smiley and everything else, right? So you go home, you deal with that, you deal with Colony House. When we get to Colony House, we deal with our favorite girl who should be nominated for an Emmy, and we are going to be her torchbearer, and her favorite pain-in-the-ass husband, I mean – uh, other person, uh, which is Dale, her real life husband, yeah, um, who is the sweetest man evidently in, in the world, and they <laughs> have a little conversation. And I just love this for so many fronts. They must have enjoyed this scene so much because they just look like they were having a ball. They do look like they're having a ball. They do look like um, they make perfect scene partners. And, you know, Dale is worrying about what's going to happen to him. Like, is he going to end up in the box? <laughs> and I, I know. He's like, I'm, we're not them. We don't put people in the box. <laughs> and I love what she says to him, you know, because he's he's trying to advocate that, um, 
you know, people have got to make the hard choices sometimes, you know, because he doesn't want the bus people in the house. And he's like, right. sometimes people have to make the hard choices. And she's like, you better watch out and be careful what you wish for. Because you might be part of those hard choices. Yeah, you could be part of those hard choices. And the thing is, when it comes to Dale, I'm not so certain that the choice is going to be all that hard. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Um. I just before we go on, I just want to say for those of you that are here, if you want to share it out, um, you can hit that that subscribe button again if you if you haven't already, and hit the bell so that anytime we have any type of new content, you're going to get it first. I mean, we have been doing, we've been on Instagram and we've been on Twitter and we've been on TikTok, but our our YouTube channel has been crazy. I mean that that Molly. Dunsworth thing is up to almost 7,000 views already, which oh is unbelievable. And, um, you know, we're, we're just plugging along. We're trying to get to a thousand uh, subscribers by the, by the end of the season. So we're at 300 now. So if you guys can help us by telling a friend about the show or anything else, but you know, getting back to getting back to Donna and Dale, the one thing that I think is really funny is she locks the door and there's a woman outside with a gun. Nobody gets in and nobody gets out. I don't care what happens. They're like, yep. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, Ellis comes in and and of course the mother, I, she, I, I don't know. It just seems like both on and off screen. She's kind of like the mother of from. Well, yeah, I mean. It, it just seems like that in a good way. The colony house. I mean, she, I feel like, especially after colony house fell apart, I feel like um, she found a purpose that she felt super comfortable with where she could run that house and she could take care of people. She could help them stay alive. Um, and she could promote, Things that she believe, believed in, like love and beer and pot and whatever. I mean, I mean, she's really the heart of yeah. the show. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what the uh, people in the audience think, but give us your. We want to hear some Donna love, you know. I mean, yeah. that's oh, what. Oh really my god! Anyone I talk to that watches this show loves Donna and she loves her. And the fact that I, cause we just got some tweets from, from people that are trying to, it's becoming Emmy season and stuff like that. They're trying to get Harold to get nominated again, but you know what, as much as I want Harold to be nominated and I do, cause I think he's doing a great job. Donna has taken the show. Donna has stolen the show this season. And, um, you know, it, it just comes down to one thing. Elizabeth Saunders is killing the, killing the season. And she that's slays. what it comes down to. And that's and she slays. She slays. Liz slays. Um, so Ellis, you know, gets brought in and, and made comfortable up in the lair. Um, Donna has a conversation with Bakta, which it was nice to see Bakta in street clothes and out of her uniform. Right. So that only took a day, but that that's pretty cool. And the thing is, she was at work. She wasn't traveling, most likely with a change of clothes. Right. So she had to go through that storage closet. And the thing about it, like, you know, she's like the leader of her bus people. Like she has a responsibility towards those people. I almost said towards those kids because I was thinking about how I was in the classroom or even how I am now with my kids, 
my kids. Yeah. But the thing about it is that Bhakta and the bus people experienced something that was horrendous in that kitchen. And it was that they were made to feel that they were other. Yes. And that, especially where they are, that is a super uncomfortable and scary feeling. And Donna said, look, you are one of us. And the thing is, when someone, I mean, I don't know, whenever you're coming into a new group of people and you're trying to find your place and someone says that to you, it feels, I don't know, it's just awesome to have and that it feeling. It didn't, it didn't help that the two people that were being accused were both black and he was white. And I know that doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but at the same time, in the sense of it's even more put another layer on top of that because you're in a, you're in a seriously crazy world, but they're coming from the real world where there is a lot of, of that kind of tension. And you got a guy coming out at night with you. So yeah. I mean, there's a lot of layers to it that make it even crazier. They don't know Dale. They don't know if he's just a. They wacko. don't know he could be the deranged guy. I mean, he's like swinging the knife around, but he's not very conscious of the knife. He's doing that one day, and you know, the next day he could be hitting on Bakta, right? As if nothing happened. But I loved it. You know, when Donna walked away from Bakta, Bakta had a frowny face on. Bakta was like, and I was like, oh my God, she's so cute. So um, I'm, I had some thoughts about that. But um, at any rate, basically, Donna, Donna's happy place is running around Colony House, putting out the fires. Yep. So, um, Let's see. Then she now, goes, then she goes to uh, her second favorite place in Colony House, which is the gardening area, the greenhouse. You're getting ahead of yourself. I, I, I'm not, but okay. I the thing about it is that um, she goes up to see Fatima and Ellis and brings them food. Yeah. No, I know. You saw. You yeah. talked about that. You talked about that. When was I you here? Said you go, yeah. No. You you said that she went up. She comforted them. But she, you want to go over it? That's fine. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember. Remember, it was so long ago. Um, but she blames herself for Ellis getting stabbed right. because she wasn't there for that. She wasn't there to control everything. But she also plays down the whole food shortage thing by saying it's minor and temporary. Right. Um, and the thing is, given that they don't know what's happening from one day to the next, they don't know that anything is minor or temporary. Um, then we're down in in the um, because, you know, Fatima's sitting there with Ellis. She's not saying anything about her predicament. But then she goes down and finds Donna in the greenhouse. Right. And Donna is still trying to resurrect and save whatever plants that she can. Um, it seems like if it's not a food plant, it's doing fine. Right. Um, but Fatima tells her that she's pregnant. And 
I loved, loved, loved Donna's response. Of course. You're making a frowny face, Alex. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm... You just had a frowny lip out. You you stuck your lip out. But... I didn't. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, she's pregnant. No, the reason why I, had the, I guess I had the frowny face was is because she's very concerned about the pregnancy, not because she's pregnant in Fromville, but she can't have kids supposedly and yeah. now she's pregnant so there's a lot of angst there's a lot of layers to this there's, there is and the thing about it is that Fatima is only looking at worst case scenario things you know like even Christie's like look you've got a third year medical student I'm a doctor practically you could have been here without someone like me so she's got that going for her, you know, and Christy, I mean, Christy has learned a lot about emergency medicine. Um, and she's got Marilee, who's a, a pediatric uh, nurse, nurse as well. So yeah. if, when she's clean. Yeah. Yeah. So once, you know, like she's going to be in good hands and who knows who's going to show up in the next nine months. But the thing to keep remembering, because I'm like, Oh, yeah. All of a sudden she just pops up pregnant. That's quick. She's been there for over a year, for a year. Right. And Alice has been there for several months and they have fallen in love. I mean, Alice gave her the best proposal, like tears. Um, and she's not focusing on anything that's positive. She's, you know, like Donna says, you found the love of your life in this godforsaken hellhole, Right. And then on top of it, you're going to have a baby together. Like you guys are doing great. Like this is the, this is what everybody dreams of to, you know, to meet someone, fall in love, have a family, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people do. Um, and, what does Donna say to her? A miracle is just the other side of a nightmare. And it I have sounds to sounds like it needs to be a song. It's a just a beautiful. It's just the other side of a nightmare. I just want to pop this one up. Yeah. Oh, the Cromenockle likes our pod. No, loves our podcast. Well, I'm glad the Cromenockle does because it's an important point to the story. Did you know that the Cromenockle is actually female? How did you know that? <laughs> I dissected it. No. <laughs> I Like I said, I've been going through uh, season one, and Ethan refers to the Cromenockle as a she. Okay. And it made it very cute to me. Well, that but being that little said, Cromenockle was adorable. We're going to get to that other point that you have a little bit later Cromenockle, but I promise we will. But right now we're at the miracle is just the other side of a, of a nightmare. And the one thing about Fatima and, and we're going to, uh, you had a chance to talk to her a little bit last week. Oh my God. I loved her. She was amazing. I didn't get to, and I'm really upset about that because, you know, yeah. I had to do some work, but, uh, the thing about it is she's going to try to answer some of those questions. She has changed so much this season and not for the better. She is such a, she's so, she, her emotions are so heavy compared to last year where she was the, the, the upbeat 
optimistic. Happy go, yeah, very optimistic, very happy-go-lucky. Um, and it's all Jasmine's fault. It is all Jasmine's fault. <laughs> well, it's mean, actually Jasmine's boyfriend's fault. Yeah, it was his fault. So weak. But, you know, this is a really quick turn of events. Right. You know? Like, but, you know, like, we know we live in the real world. That happens. Like, everything's going great. You're very, you know, you're okay with things. And all of a sudden, your week goes to hell. And that's what's happening to her. She, you know, all this crap stuff shows up, you know, like a bus full of people come and she can't save the one, you know, some of them. And she has to watch them be devoured and listen to that. And it's, it's horrific, you know, and then to find out, I think if she had found out that she was pregnant in season one, it would have been a good thing. But given all the crap that's happened, um, like that has just fallen from the sky, it is not a good thing. No, so- it isn't. It isn't. But you know what? I, I think you, you started to see it, obviously, when she was at the post office, but when she was talking to Elgin and it's just gotten progressively worse. Now, we don't know when she started getting symptoms because you have to remember, folks, this season is only a couple of days long. It's a week. Right. So I, we're not talking about a long time. No, I mean, she's been with Ellis at least maybe probably a month, two months. Right. And, you know, that's all it takes. I mean, it just takes that one perfect moment. But, you know, that's where they're at. Um, so now know. let's get back to our uh, our the bar. Do you want to go to the bar? I would love to go to the bar. And, and the one thing I want to say about our, our char- our, one of our favorite characters, Jade, is we really haven't seen him that much this year, this season. He's Compar- been flitting around. I mean, he's, I mean, he's there. I mean, he, he was playing the violin, but it, it just seems he, like he's he's not yeah. been as active. I don't feel that way. I think that he has been very active. He's had some pivotal things, like... He shows he goes to the the car graveyard with Victor, you know, like I, I think he, I think he I don't think he's had as much face time, but the time he's had is important. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. But I, mean, anyway, I just want more Jade. I just yeah, need more Jade in my I, life. That's all. That's all you want. Um, so Tabitha yes, and from Knuckle, the Jade is the official bartender of from took over from Tom. Yes, there was a vacancy. There was a vacancy. Um, so Tabitha finds him at the bar and he is rebuilding the still um, because Tom was not an expert distiller. No, he wasn't. And it's amazing that no one went blind, <laughs> but <That's> for sure. <laughs> um, but they certainly got blinded, you know, by drink. And so she's come to talk to him about things that he's seen. Um, because she knows that he's had some visions and Jade doesn't want to give it up easily because she asked, I think she asked him about the civil war soldier because, um, Jim had come home and and told her that he wigged out on him. Right. But at any rate, you know, he's like, you help me with the still and I'll tell you everything. Well, yeah, he wants to help her. Well, he does want the help, but. You know, he needs 
I think it kind of helps him think at the same time. Right. You know? And um, because what happens if he's telling one story in the front of his mind, the back of his mind is working on this whole um, distillery system that he's trying to set up. Right. So this, uh, this serves a very good purpose for him. But he tells her about the Civil War soldier. And then, you know, she she talks about the fucking terrifying children that she's seen. And she's only seeing children. It's not necessarily the same children over and over. It's different groupings of the children. But she she sees children. And so he's like, if you help me, I'll talk. But there's no yelling. Yeah, I know. I love that. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, I, I was thinking about why Jade was intent on fixing the still. I mean, I think one reason was probably because it was something that he could actually affect change with. Um, but the other thing is that I'm starting to wonder if his mind works best in an altered state because you know, we had been watching him constantly, you know, either getting high or high and he's out of his supply. Right. Or he has no rolling papers or whatever. And, um, now he's fixing the still so that he can drink. And it made me wonder how his genus genus genius works is he a genius or is he just damaged? So, um, I think he's a little bit of both personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I loved, it's, I loved when they were talking about, you know, what, what she knows and what he knows. He yeah. showed you the picture. Oh yeah. That's Victor in the background. Oh, like it took me a little bit longer to get that. And but then, it, I think it's because that's Jade. He doesn't necessarily pay attention to people. Right. You know, um, and he he tells her about the root cellar. He tells her about the Civil War guy. He tells her about Christopher. And he was the like, that was a really thing good ever. one. Yeah. Which I'm like, I wonder why that was the more most terrifying thing ever. Because I thought the the guy in the root cellar and the Civil War guy with the dead bodies hanging on the trees were pretty terrifying. I think the reason being is because of the symbol. And and it's it's been part of the whole thing. Um, And the other thing is she notices that symbol now. Well, not notices it now. She remembers seeing it from in the basement in the the cave. My point being is they're starting to to see they're connecting on that. Exactly. They're connecting. He didn't he didn't mention the the ventri. Yeah. The ventriloquist dummy um, because. It was the symbol and then the dummy. Right. And I God, I loved when he screamed at the thing, when it screamed at him. Oh, I know. He's getting but, aggressive. Yeah. But she sees the book and, you know, she says, I know what this is. I know where to find it. Like, she was as shocked to see it in that book as he was to find out that it was real. It Absolutely. wasn't something that he just imagined or he was seeing. But. The thing is, if that symbol is real, it's giving some validity to the other things that he's seeing. Absolutely. Now it calls that into question. Um, 
Uh, because, you know, if one's real, maybe the other thing is. No, so. I, I think it was it was an important scene because they both have an experience. She talked about the kids. Mm. And not not a lot though, just that she's but that she saw him and then she talked about Thomas. But the fact that she's starting to express you know what? He had empathy for her. Yeah. You scared me there. (laughs) Sorry. But the thing is, like we didn't see it in Jade until that scene with him and Mrs. Mrs. Lou. Yeah. Tian Chen. Yeah. This is the second time he's really shown some empathy that there is a person in there. Right. No, 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 that, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I just what think if that's what's happening to him being there. Well, you know, he's got to he's got to learn how to play nice with other people or else he's not going to survive. Yeah. I mean, although he is living, he is living in the bar now. And the fact that he's living in the bar as opposed to Mrs. Lou's house says something. Um I don't honestly. It tells me he just wants to be alone. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't think I could live in a place by myself alone. In that, in that town? No, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Maggie, what what is what are we what are we tr- true about? Because I'd love to know. Huh? No, Maggie. Maggie said true, but I just don't know what we were true uh, about. Um, okay. What what uh what point? Um. But yeah, like I said, I think I think those two working together can can do a lot of damage in a good way in terms of get finding out what's going on on their well, they're, end. They're having similar experiences, so I mean, so it, it does. I think that's going to help things help move things along. Um, I, I think the next place that we have to go is with Marilee and Marielle. Marielle and. Um, her withdrawal nightmare okay so while so while they're doing all this uh autopsy she wakes up she goes down the hall and all of a sudden she sees smiley who's alive and then boyd's trying to shoot at him and she's having a friggin' nightmare but the thing about this whole smiley thing that is so different is she heard the music box and she heard the music. And I think that that's important to this story because she does tell Christy at the end of the the episode that she had withdrawals. She heard music and she saw smiley and he was trying to attack her. She didn't have to tell Christy that she had withdrawals because Christy Saw no, that just as she said she had nightmares, and that's what happened. She told her the yeah. whole story. Yeah, she did. Um, I th- when we talked to Jamie, was it last week? It was last week. Uh, yeah, we're gonna post that this week. Okay, because he hinted. He's like, it. You know, it's not all. You know, that's not the end of it. He hinted at that, but not saying that. You know, and what? I mean, the thing is. Marielle out of nowhere has this crazy dream and it's very realistic. Like she sees smiley and then Boyd starts shooting at him. She doesn't know that, that bullets don't work on these things. 
Right. Yet in her dream, that's what's happening. Smiley's just like, oh, you know, and he keeps advancing until the point where he's like right in her face. Right. And but she turns, she starts to hear the music and she turns and she sees the music box. And I don't know if they're just using the same music box and or they're just it would be interesting if all the music boxes were different. But it is not. It is that same music box with the amputated leg and it's black and it makes me want to get one and just paint it black and cut the leg off and glue it right next to where she's turning. But she's telling, I mean, she, the thing is like, if this was out in the real world and she woke up and, you know, she was going through withdrawals and she told someone this dream, they wouldn't, they'd just be like, oh, you know, it's just like a fever dream. But here it holds significance because Boyd had the experience with the music box. And at first they didn't know if it was real or not. Right. Until Marielle, Marielle saw the worms first. She was like, right. oh my God. And so then, you know, we have this conversation with Julian Elgin, Elgin, sorry. And. Well, Ju- well, Elgin says, Hey, can we go talk? Right. I think he kind of likes Julie. Well, he's you just, know. yeah, he's, he's kind of, I mean, of, he's a young he's guy. A player. He yeah. likes Sarah and he wants, he's going wherever the, the wind's well, going. Sarah is crazy. So he, he's, he was smart enough to take her off the menu right away. So at any rate, um, they go down to the pool and they're standing there and he's, he tells her about Smiley. Right. Which Julie hasn't really seen Smiley. Um, and he's upset he's trying to discuss the dream he had when they were pulling into town. And I don't know about you, but I know I've definitely had some prophetic dreams where I know I'm supposed to remember something and I can't remember it. Right. And it's important. Have you had that? I mean, I don't, I can't think of anything offhand, but I I can't tell you anything offhand specific but I know it's happened to me yeah. where the dream was important. And I didn't, you know, I don't have those high stakes like he does. I mean, you know, given where he ended up, I mean, those stakes are pretty high. It's important for him to remember because he could solve something in this puzzle show. Maybe. So Elgin, what was Elgin saying? What? What am I doing? All right. Oh, okay. So Elgin, you know, he's trying to to just basically confide in her and, and maybe just say it out loud so that he's less crazy. Right. And she suggests to him that he go back to Colony House and take a bath, fill the tub up, and then submerge his ears and then just listen because it sounds like the ocean. And right. it's, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've done it. Like that's like I do I go to a float tank, so I do this all the time. Oh, really? And it's the it's the most calming. It is very Except calming. for the fact when he does it, 
somebody's trying to pull him down and push him down and drown him. I mean, I would stay like that. If the water would just stay warm, I'd stay like that for hours. That's what that's what a salt tank is. Yeah, it's warm. Oh yeah, yeah. It that concerns me because other people are going to get in it and they're going to bring their germs and. Well, no, they clean it. Right. Um, I mean, then again, I get into a cold pool and a lot of bacteria just loves that temperature too. But I can float. Can you do the survival float? If I have to survive. Did you ever learn how to do the survival float in the pool? Yeah. Oh, no, not that one. No. I mean, I can float. I can float for hours on my back and just float and my ears are submerged and I look up at the sky and it is, it's the most peaceful thing ever. And yes, Daphne, you have to take a shower first. Yes. You have to take a shower first before you go into the salt tank and then you take a shower afterwards. Yeah. Um, So hold on. The the Kramanakal has spoken again. Tabitha should talk to Boyd and tell him where the tunnels are so that they can go and try the new weapon. Do you think the worms got, who knows? We're going to find out. I mean, we're going to find out where the worms are or if they are getting possessed by uh, Merrily or Elgin. Good, good point though. I wonder if they can survive outside of a host. I, I'm kind of thinking they can't since it went from Martin. Well, it went from something into um, Sarah. It went from Martin into Boyd into Smiley. So it makes me think that it needs some kind of liquid host. But then the only liquid we found in Smiley was bile, which is acidic. So I don't know if that's the answer either. Um, the yeah, I mean it, it, that's true. I mean, he also Kramanakal also goes on to say the creature uh, appeared to Elgin in the end looked like Fatima. I don't know about that. I might have to look back at that, but um No, I could see that. It looked like a dried up Fatima. Yeah, I don't you know. know. Like it it just reminded me of like a Mardi Gras puppet or something like that. But um I well, no, no, but wait. That, that but then he goes. Really happened. But then he also says Sarah didn't get didn't uh, get worms. It was different. We don't know. I was just looking at that today, and not necessarily the same worms that um, we don't know what Sarah has. I was just looking at it today, and they were like long. I understand before it, before it formed into words, but maybe the worms can spell. Um, all right. So where are we going next? Oh, the last thing that we're going to do, I believe is so Jim is just walking around town. No, he's not. Well, he's just standing there after the conversation. And then all of a sudden he sees a, a drone drone go whizzing by him. And, and we find out that it's Randall who's on top of the bus because he's having his little party. He has his little party bus. And he starts talking to Jim. And well, he t- Jim, he doesn't just start talking to Jim. He buzzes Jim with the Right, I, I was joking around, and then they start talking. Yeah, Jim goes up to 
because Jim sees that and it's a, an idea. And um, Jim, the, the first thing Jim does is he thanks him for helping him. And Randall says, you're welcome, but goes directly into, um, but you got those two other people killed. And Jim's like, well, you didn't really have to say that, did you? You know, like, and he's like, look, you just came and thanked me. I said, hey, that's great. But that's not what he did. His, the thing with Randall is he does not want to make friends here. He doesn't want anyone around him. So the more he treats people like crap, the chances go up that he's going to be left alone. And that's all he wants is to be left alone. But the next thing we know, Jim's got him walking out down to that road where the camper is. And they both go into the camper so Jim can get the um, antenna and starts talking about putting the antenna on the drone. And he calls Jim calls him on his crap twice because Jim's like, take a walk with me out into the woods. Because so first, you know, he insults Jim by saying you got those two guys killed but then he calls jim a pervert he's like a pervert yeah no because he's like oh can you walk with me down to the road and he's like dude you don't even know who i am i'm not trying to yeah pervert i'm just trying to you know yeah i mean randall it didn't work with the first thing so randall goes and and pulls a higher card on jim and jim's like not going to be dissuaded because he wants that um the uh, drone so he can get his antenna higher up into the sky. Um, Let's see. They, as they're walking, Jim is telling him about experiments that have been done. The ones that have been declassified and then comments like, if this is what we know about the ones that they've declassified, what about the ones that they haven't? Right. You know, so, you know, what is in there, you know? And so when they're in there, um, in the, in the, what do you call it? The RV, you know, Randall's like, um, so the one thing you haven't really considered is that if this is really going on, that we're being watched, what are the odds that some of the people here are the watchers? Who's the mole? I mean, I thought, I really still do think it was Tom. It could be Donna. Could be Donna. Um, It it couldn't be Dale. He's not smart enough. (laughs) But that could be his game. You know? It could be be, uh, Clara. Clara. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and I'd love to know what from the people that are are, uh, watching. You know, who do you think the mole could be? Because uh, you've got all these characters. You've got, you know, Mrs. Lou with her tea. You've got her son. You've got a whole bunch of people that it could be. And and there there, there could be multiple moles. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, you know, and they don't necessarily know about the other one. You know, they could all be there being blackmailed to do something against their will. 
it's possible. You it's know. highly possible. Yeah. So anyway, when Randall said that to Jim, I had a a revelation or an epiphany, whichever one. And I was like, oh my God, Donna is one of the people watching. And not only Donna, but someone else. And I was like, all right, well, I, I did a little bit. I didn't really get into this deeper. Um, now it makes me want to go back and watch all the episodes and pick up the instances. Daily Info says Tilly is the mole and Sarah is being used. I don't think Tilly's the mole. I think I personally, I think, I think Tilly is just a nosy old lady that just happens to be there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Lindy. I think Tilly is part of that. You Tilly do? Isn't, she's a facilitator slash instigator. Um, there was nothing for her to facilitate or instigate this time around. But going back to Donna. Now, she is sitting, and we've talked about this, the big house on the hill that looks down on the town, right? Now, Donna has been there for about six months, and she's established that colony house. Mm -hmm. And so Kramanako thinks she could be a mole for the good side. Could be. But she establishes the colony house um, um, environment, you know, atmosphere. And it's a good place to be. And she has control over that. And there's people that live down in the town, but no one too crazy. You know, nothing really goes down down in that town. People go down and they eat dinner and breakfast and lunch at the diner. And Mrs. Lou is there working all day with Sarah. And, you know, Boyd is running around doing his share of things, just checking in on people. And, you know, Kenny is just following him right along. There's nothing much going on down there. Nope. And then the Matthews family shows up. And so what happens is that she's like, crap, I can't handle what's going on up here and what's going on down there. I need someone to be down there watching that. And then in comes the bus. And, you know, there's things that we don't see. I'm sure because that's life. I don't see everything that goes on in your house. You don't see everything that goes on in mine. And what happens is there's someone on that bus that can watch what's going on in that town. Now we've got Randall who's got a lot of wonderful things missing in his personality and then we've got Donna, who everybody reveres, right? Donna is used to being in charge. Randall doesn't want to be told what to do. They bump heads. Donna takes Randall and she puts him on the bus down in the town. Who's to say that wasn't all orchestrated? They True. fought publicly. Every time they went head to head, there were tons of people around watching how they did not get along. Well, also... That's a question you can ask Randall this week when we interview him. Yeah, that would be interesting. So at any rate, 
he's sitting there. He doesn't sit inside the bus. No. He puts a seat on top of the bus and he watches what's going on down in that town, right? Who's been running around mouthing off about how someone's listening to us? Well, it must be Jim. How can I get Jim's attention with a piece of technology that Jim can exploit? So to make sure that Jim sees that technology, he buzzes him. And then he they create a little, I, it's not a friendship because Randall does not want to be bothered. His job is to watch what's going on in that town and he is just a watcher. But he needs to plant a seed in Jim. Because did you see Jim's face when Randall said that to him? He was like, holy fuck, I never even thought of that. Never even thought of that. So he just throws that monkey wrench in there. Meanwhile, Donna is up at the colony house. One of her jobs is to make sure that they've got crops growing and that they can feed everybody. That's one of her jobs, right? She can run the people up there and uh, Randall can run the people down in the town. And I think what happened was at some point, maybe it was before she arrived there with her sister. Maybe she too had a dream and she couldn't remember everything. Who knows? Maybe that's what her and Elgin. Well, to your point, and I'm not saying I believe this. One of the things that she says to Ethan last, last uh, week was because he asked, well, what about, what about, everything falling in and she's and she said as long as your mom doesn't start digging holes into the thing you'll be fine right exactly again i'm not you know digging holes again let me just add that digging holes right so i mean she made that comment when it's very similar to the comment that she heard on the radio and for all we know, you know, she reported out, you know. And she was the only one that heard the radio. Aside from Jim, she was the only one, right? And so, and and then when her and Jim talked about that, I saw a real fear in her face. Like, don't fucking say anything. Like, I, I, I hope that's not it. I really like the Cromenacle story. And I I'm like not- the crom, but that doesn't mean the Cromenacle story goes away. It doesn't mean that it goes away at all. I think that at some point prior to her and her sister's arrival, she, when she was watching that happen to her sister, she was like, "Oh my God, this is familiar. This goes back to my dream." This goes back to what I was told, something like that. And she was allowed to live almost like she was told that she wasn't going to die when they stopped like that. It was just going to be her sister and to run out and find a bush to hide behind. I mean, I wouldn't think that you'd be safe in a bush, but she survived the night in a bush 
until the next morning, right? She was quick to get down to town to warn everybody on the bus about getting inside at night, right? She needed to keep the new people alive because Randall was on that bus and she needed Randall there to do his job because he is part of the experiment just like her. I, and I, I have yeah. one more thing. I think one reason why she was overjoyed at Fatima being pregnant is because Ellis was not supposed to be stabbed, that it happened on her watch when she wasn't there, keeping an eye on things that, you know, idiot. Maybe there's a bigger know. plan for them. Huh? There might be a bigger plan for there those. There might two. be a bigger plan for Ellis because Abby goes nuts. And then Boyd is is choice um, forced to choose between his son and his wife. Ellis needed to be saved, and that's the thing with Fatima because she says to Fatima, "Good job, good job getting him down to the hospital. Good job, right?" That was one of it. And then Fatima pops up pregnant. It kind of like outweighs Ellis being nearly killed. This, this just came to me. Well, here's a question for you. Do you think Tabitha and Jim have different, different theories may ruin their relationship? Yes. That's what's driving them apart right now. He's convinced someone is listening to them that some, like he is on that while she's dealing with her own crisis. Okay. What about uh, Elgin being an unwilling mole? Maybe he just hasn't. Maybe, maybe he could be. I, maybe. I just because he he seems to think he needs to do something, but he can't remember what it is, and I think that. Remember, he thinks that, that the water is significant. And I think that when the time comes, he'll know what he needs to do. Right. Now, I, I know people have said this theory about the Red Wedding. Um, we'll see. I mean, we don't know yet. But, yeah. Um, I, oh, my God, the Red Wedding. That, that said, um, do you have any other notes that was everything because um i was gonna put final thoughts um i mean we do have some feedback which we're gonna play folks um yeah. and we have some reading feedback and then we have some other feedback but before we get to that i just want to tell everybody we do have an etsy shop now um selling things like stickers and some a couple of different shirts and mugs and you can go to the if you go to Etsy and, and type in what is from shop you can get that um and I'm actually I have the bracelets the two bracelets I have them with me all right so and I think I found my camera one of them says from as you can see ooh, there you go and then on the inside, it'll tell you a location where someone is from. So it could be like, this happens to be where Donna is from, Bozeman, Montana. That's where she was. 
um, or it could be where you're actually from. And then the other one is hashtag Fromily. And you can have your name on the inside. Yeah, uh, I might have to get one of those. Sorry, you can't see it, but if you go to our website, the what is from shop on Etsy, Etsy, not Epsy, <laughs> you'll be able to see pictures. All right. So let's try to get to some feedback. And do you I've have got a lot of feedback? What's that? I've got a lot of feedback. Why don't you why don't you uh read some of your feedback and then we'll uh do a couple of calls and whatever. Okay. Um, I am going to start with Kelly Burgess and some of this is dated. We missed feedback one week. So she says, finally got caught up. Kelly, I know the feeling. Um, so did they discover a way to fight the monsters or was it a one-time thing? I was worried about Ellis. Glad they were able to save him. I really think it'd be horrible for him to go out like that. Oh my God. Yes, Kelly. What kind of repercussions will that bring at Colony House? Boyd's leniency with Sarah might have opened up a can of worms, it seems. Looking forward to getting caught up in the on the podcast as well. Um, I think Penny Lennox might yeah. have done a tape, right? Uh, no. All right, because I don't have her here. I don't see Penny here. I'm a newscaster. All right, so Kara Latiolis, or no, Latiole, maybe. Uh, Glad to be caught up so I can join the Fromily. This show is so grim. The set design and lighting is all dilapidated and overgrown. The houses are dirty and the sky is perpetually overcast. The characters in writing have a lot of work to do to push through all that gloom. I'm a particular fan of Donna. Get in line, Kara. I love her bluntness and pragmatism. And watching Boyd and Ellis together is healing the Michael and Walt hole in my heart. Oh my God, I know. Really enjoyed this episode, whichever one this was, not sure. I was a little worried about Ellis there, but I'm glad he made it. What a stupid way to die that would be. The way the scene of the van heading to the clinic was shot was brilliantly brilliantly done. Very video game-esque and really contributed to the tension of the scene. I felt like I was in the van. What about you? Absolutely. I thought it was I, great. I thought, you know what? That would be a great ride at Universal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I kept expecting something to pop up and hit the windshield. The camel work and the generally realistic portrayal of the treatment of medical emergencies both help keep me sucked into this show. I, you know, it's like a, a cross between ER and like um, X-Files. I'm also liking Jim's theory that this is some kind of test experiment more and more. The storm seemingly coming out of nowhere. The voice naming Jim on the radio. The house collapsing. The scarcity of food, etc. Certainly makes it seem like somebody or something is pulling the strings. But who or what could that be? One thing. What is with people on this show questioning each other when anything's new and weird? You guys are trapped in an unplottable town with monsters who rip people apart. But it's somehow crazy. If somebody traveled via tree, 
or has worms crawling under their skin. Come on, y'all. You're living in a horror movie. I suggest it just goes to show that once you acclimate to a new normal and accept the existing crazy, your brain desperately clings to maintaining that status quo and ignoring new challenges to your reality. All right. Karen stole Medeiros. No, not Smiley. Ha! Loved this episode. Although Jim is getting a little annoying. He might be onto something with his theory, but he's getting on my nerves. Kenny was amazing in this episode. He really stepped it up. I also liked the scene where he opened up about worrying about Boyd's health and how it's bringing up emotions about his dad's decline. He seemed to still feel like Boyd was a father figure to him. I really hope we get to see Boyd as a grandfather. I love his relationship with Fatima too. Listening to the pod now. Thank you, Lizzie and Alex, for the phenomenal coverage of the show. You are so welcome. Well, before you get to your next one, I want to I wanna do one of our, uh, our callers. Okay. Um, first is we're going to do uh, is Courtney from South Jersey. Here Courtney. you go. Lizzie and Alex. Hey, it's Courtney. It's been a long while. Oh, my gosh. So, oh, yeah, I'm that chick from South Jersey. I'm like, duh, in case you guys forgot. Okay, so um, so I was going to respond to your episode after the last time you guys put me on. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to give other people a chance to respond and say their thing. And then I think the week after that, if it wasn't that specific week, you guys had like some of the actors and actresses from the show come on. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. So I actually didn't catch up with your episodes past that. But to keep it short and simple, um, I'm just going to keep it short and simple. Oh, excuse me. I just got off work like 30 minutes ago. I'm still trying to get my mind right. So I'm about to watch the last three episodes of From just to see if there was anything that I missed. And just so that my mind is like really there with the show. Like this is I'm obviously obsessing over this show. I take it very serious when I binge watch a show. Okay, so my question, no, first of all, I have a comment. I really loved the fact that Boyd's arm squirms served a purpose because I was really terrified that they were going to take over him, that he was going to turn into one of those creatures, or like, I had no idea what was going. This episode, what was it called? Pas de do, pas de do. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I know it's French. <laughs> it's probably not even French. Okay. The ballerina creeped me out. Every time I seen her, she creeped me out. Um, but I really love the fact that Boyd had this amazing freaking idea to pass on his arm squirms to the creatures. Now, I really thought that the creature was going to, like, get up at some point. But, like, psych. <laughs> like, that didn't do anything to me. Like, when he started, like... Oh my God, when he like, when Boyd held his hand up to, I'm gonna call him the boss because for some reason I feel like he was like a boss or something or like the head of the little creature group. Um, and the arm scribs went into him. I thought the monster was joking. Like I thought he was like just playing a game. 
So the fact that at the end of the episode, Boyd was like staring out the uh, window of the door and Kenny was like, is he dead? And Boyd is like, we're going to find out soon enough. I know that's right. Yes, watch him. See if he twitches. See if he gets up. But I think he actually died because... I don't know. I feel like he's actually dead. I mean, I'm hoping he's actually dead because you can't really predict anything with this show. <laughs> Every time you predict something, it goes a different way. <laughs> but um, that was really... So, yeah. Thank you, um, Courtney from South Jersey. Do you have another one or you want me to play another piece of feedback? I just have two short ones. Okay. And then I'm done. Okay. All right. So Des Combs writes, the episodes keep getting creepier and creepier. The scene in the van had me stressed, man. I kept waiting for something to hit the windshield. Pour one out for our dear friend this episode. Hashtag justice for Smiley. All righty. So so we got two more pieces of feedback, folks. Uh, one is from this guy. We call him Live Steve. And here we go. All right, Alex and Lizzie. Uh, this is Steve. And this is for uh, pause date. I don't know how to say French. Well, weren't there like a bunch of chairs and stuff in the church? Oh, we got a music box. This is scary. Careful boy. Creepy ballerina girl is doesn't seem right. Okay. And now he woke up on the floor. Oh, so I, I don't, the whole thing with Marielle and Christy, yeah, we knew she's a junkie, and now Christy knows. But they've never had fall. They've never had winter. They've never had any seasons here in Frumland. Yeah, and this isn't the hold me closer, tidy dancer kind of ballerina. Ooh, she's creepy. And Jim still thinks this is somebody's experiment. Ooh, jumpy much? You almost shot Marielle. Be careful with that weapon. He just stabbed Ellis? Oh, no. Wait, Boyd was in the hospital... Did he make it back to the church before? I don't understand. Or is this another vision he's having of the father, the priest? Oh, no, yeah, he's still in the, the hospital because he's downstairs now. Oh, no. Elgin, is that what this new character's name is? This is not going to bode well for you, but I'm glad you're trying to help uh, Ellis and Fatima. Okay, these wraiths or shriekers or whatever we're calling them are not moving as fast as they have before because they would have been all over this van. Okay, so they made it to the clinic, and now we're back inside with Marielle and Christy. Oh, that was tense. Ellis had blood in his lungs. I, uh, oh, so other people can see the the stuff in Boyd's arm now. Oh, Boyd. Kenny was willing to, to sacrifice himself, and now you're outside. What are you going to do? Oh, is it working? Is he, is his, those things actually going into Smiley? Oh, and now they're all avoiding Boyd and going after smiley just they're just surprised they're looking at him forget is it O negative that's the universal donor or O positive that's the universe i it doesn't matter okay, so they both have O negative it's fine oh this is a sweet moment between donna and what's the little boy's name is it ethan yeah ethan i think Ooh, so maybe it is dead all right talk to you later well steve you never disappoint and um the last piece of feedback that we have is from jody and I know she wasn't feeling too good. She got the COVID. So um, our international desk has been a little quiet. But folks, if you guys are looking to send feedback in, you can always send it to the podcast and um, via via uh, Facebook on Podcastica or on our from uh, email or on talks at podcastica.com. <laughs> which I don't have in front of me right now. But our last piece of feedback is going to be from Jody. So let's hear what she has to say. 
Hi, Lizzie and Alex. It's Jodie from Australia here with my feedback for From Season 2, Episode 6. I have to apologize for the way my voice sounds. I'm recovering from COVID and I still have the cough of death. I lost my voice a few times while I was sick. It's still coming back and um, I sound like a maniac. So my sincerest apologies for that. Um, So for this episode, I absolutely love Jim's developing theory and I'm totally with him and not just because I think he's sexy. Um, I think they are in a controlled environment. Someone is watching them and possibly experimenting on them to see how they react to certain stimuli. I've kind of been thinking that since season one. Uh, It's pretty clear the stress levels for everyone are ratcheting upwards, but what's with Dave just randomly stabbing people with his piss? Like, come on, control yourself, buddy. And now they have a big problem now because Boyd isn't punishing Sarah for being a murderer, so they can't really do anything to Dave either. So their pseudo-legal slash punishment system is really getting out of whack. I really thought Ellis was going to die in Fatima's arms and I found the van ride to the clinic incredibly stressful. I'm so glad they made it. Um, And Boyd confronting the monsters and neutralizing one with whatever Martin put in his blood was absolutely wild. Dying to see if Mr. Smiley is still there come morning and whether they can work out exactly what happened, that would be really interesting. And finally, I'm, I'm so excited that Fatima might be pregnant and given where she lives, I really shouldn't be. Um, but that's the end of my observations this week. Just short and sweet. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of the episode. Talk soon. Yeah. Well, hopefully she is feeling better. And um, yes, Maggie, we love, we love, love, love Jody with her Australian accent. And she is the head of the international desk. And all I can say, Jody, cough drops, cough drops. January, and I'm still on cough drops. Well, that being said, uh, we are pretty much done. You know, Sunday is from day, but if you guys like the podcast and you want to support us, you can always go to Buzzsprout on our supporter line, as well as hit that uh, subscribe button with that bell. Um, And one other thing is, like I said to you guys before, We do have that Etsy shop, and that's also going to be in the show notes as well. Um, Next week, we are going to be covering season two. Um, Yeah, season two, episode eight. I believe the name of the title is called The Forest Forest for the Trees. Um, And are we going to be on on Sunday night? I don't know yet. We don't know yet. So this might be a one-time deal. This might be a uh, one regular time deal. Or regular. But we are, we are so thankful that you guys spent the time um, and, you know, came out and listened to us. And your, your thanks for doing all this comes down to one thing. We're going to let the, the head of the committee of um, – the secret committee of people that are the drones are going to take us out. So let me just find that right about now and see you next week. Get your home. Let's go. Come on, get in your house. Let's go. Come on. (laughs) 